Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. This week, we're talking about math, more specifically how companies may use math in the coming months to make our lives harder and complicate their finances, aka the truth that we all care about the most. And as always, I am joined by Alex Wilhelm. Alex, how did we get on an episode talking about math when I hate it. I mean, I don't know. I'm the <laughs> dumbest child in my family when it comes to math by a margin. My siblings were like mathletes and I was the one who like was struggling with fractions when I was like in kindergarten or whatever, whenever you learn fractions. Anyways, it's ironic to the uh, least. Well, I wonder what that says about me because I was making a joke as to the fact that you are the smartest person I know about math on TC stuff. So. Well, TC is not good at math. We just learned. <laughs> But I mean, the joke is obviously as journalists, math is not our everyday, but it does help us paint a picture of how companies are doing health-wise and financially. And so that's where we are today. And we are not alone. We are joined by a TC reporter, but someone who's worn many more hats than that. Haya Camps is joining. Thank you so much for making your equity debut, Haya. Hello, thank you for having me. And I'm delighted to be here. Well, I want to, as I just alluded to, get a little bit into your background before we start. Tell people what you've done because it is wild. And I just learned it in person when we met. I mean, this is only half. This is only a half hour podcast, so I don't think I can go through the whole list. But yeah, give us the highlights and higher. Just the, the highlights. highlights. I did a journalism degree, hated it, and decided to never work as a journalist. Clearly failed at that. <laughs> then kind of accidentally started a company. I was like, hey, Kickstarter is cool. I want to do a Kickstarter campaign. And then did one and about halfway through the campaign, realized, oh, maybe I should start a company to deal with all this stuff. Then that ran for seven years. So that was kind of a weird accident. Uh, we sold to like 90 something countries and it was it was kind of a crazy ride. And then from there, I just kind of moved to the US, joined TechCrunch, left TechCrunch to start a couple of companies, fell into VC for a while, and then came back to TechCrunch. Yep. I mean, yeah. all the things. It is the dream guest. We're going to make you speak on behalf of the founder, reporter, and the VC today. So have <laughs> <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> I have some hats ready. <laughs> Cool. Well, the inspiration for the episode really came from a water cooler chat that we had on Slack. It's one of TC's Slack groups where we just kind of riff on the news and say everything that we wouldn't tweet out loud. But I got permission to say this out loud because Panzer, our editor-in-chief, kind of talked about how split rounds, extensions, bridges, debt, loans, all kinds of quote, creative math is going to start showing up either in the pitches we get, in the way that founders talk about their companies, or even in filings, which Alex, you're going to get to in a minute. So it's an interesting time to talk about how companies think about math because everyone is under pressure to look profitable, look healthy, and keep narratives looking rosy. And so that's kind of where I wanted to start, which is understanding a little bit of the context of how companies use math and I guess any precedent for people hiding figures or hiding growth with creative math. Alex, a while ago, you wrote a post titled Stop Lying to Me. And I want you to (laughs) tell us all about that. So I had a little personal project called, um, uh, what the hell was this called? The Saturday Essay. For some reason in late 2021, I had so much extra energy that I was writing weekly Saturday essays. Who was that person? What happened to him? We love him in all of his forms. (laughs) Anyways, one of them was called Stop Lying to Me. And it was essentially me just shouting a little bit because we had seen a couple of companies file to go public And when we compared their actual results to what they had told the market historically, we noticed some discrepancies. So Sweet Green was on this list and Rent the Runway. Anyways, I was peevish about this, even back last year in Minahasha. And it seems to be now with money drying up, we are expecting to see more of this kind of creative math. And so our our hackles and our antennas are up. 
Aya, you were a founder for seven years. You probably had the decisions you could have made that would either make Alex very happy or very mad when picking the numbers you want to share. Before this current downturn, how do you think about sharing numbers and kind of the phenomenon Alex just talked about? I mean, I feel like it's my life goal to make Alex as angry as possible. So... (laughs) Join the team. <laughs> there is that. No, but I, I think there's a weird thing that happens when, you know, at an early stage company, you have so many decisions you have to make, right? One of them is how are you going to do your finances? It is an entirely legitimate thing to say, I'm just going to ignore it until tax season. It's not a yeah. great idea, but you can. The other way of going is like monthly reporting with really solid, you know, gap compliance finances and like really get it right. And so if at that point you need to raise a round of funding or you are looking to exit, you have all your ducks in a row and all the numbers are right, right? Yeah. And there is a temptation as a founder to just ignore all of that, especially in the early days when you don't really have revenue. At that point, really the only thing you care about is what's your runway, what's your burn rate. And if those two numbers intersect in a horrible way, that's the end of your company anyway, and gap compliance be damned. So that's really where I think a lot of founders end up, where you're like, look, this is important and I don't give a crap right now because right now I just want to keep this boat afloat. The struggle that I have here, Kaya, is that companies come to us and they say, hey, we want to talk to you. We want you to write about us. We want you to get excited about our company. And then you ask them some very basic things about their financials and they react as if you had just tried to steal their children or burn their house or something like they treat it like you've you've abrogated some enormously important unwritten or written rule and you know talk to us from the founder perspective about why people are so terrified frankly of sharing hard data or accurate representations of their financial performance while private right well i think there's a couple of things to that one is you know if you have an mba you know how to report data and what these numbers mean if you if you're a cfa you know how to do financials properly a lot of founders just don't And it isn't important right now for how to do that, right? And so if you, if I am really, really excited that I've just raised a round of funding and it was good enough for the investors, the numbers I had, and suddenly I get harder questions from a journalist, I'd be like, (laughs) what does this guy even want? This is bullshit. And so I think there's a really interesting piece there where you can go, okay, why does the journalist do better due diligence than my investor? And I think when you say that um, you end up with numbers that look different from what was reported to you to what shows up in an S1 filing, I think there is something, yes, it could just be bald-faced lying for sure, or it could just be, look, this isn't important right now and it's not a priority. Yeah. I mean, it's also making me think a little bit about, well, growth clearly, as we've already discussed now, is super subjective depending on who you ask. And so I agree that the incentives are kind of misaligned for a startup to tell reporters at the early stages, but it also makes me think ever, right? Because if you can keep telling your investors the truth, and you can keep raising, what is the point? Uh, I know the point for as a journalist of why I want to know, but what is the point as a founder to tell me anything beyond we're growing 90% year over year? They're never right. going to tell me, is it $1 to $90 or, or you know, or 90 to 900? But I think that that becomes like this really difficult and exciting part when we finally do see the S1 and we finally do get the answers we want to understand math. But before then, it's kind of like every growth metric we get has a little bit of an asterisk, right? Yeah, I, I think that's done. But hi, I mean, like when we talk to a seed stage startup, to your point about, you know, small companies and just checking burn rate. I never asked them, you know, what was your Q3, you know, non-adjusted EBITDA? Because the answer is negative a lot and it's not really relevant. At that point, percentage- The answer is probably, I don't know. Yeah, sure. But at that (laughs) stage, percentage growth is great because you're going from, you know, 100K of ARR to 500K of ARR. Hell yeah, you know, that's great. My question is, is it reasonable for Natasha and I and yourself to expect companies once they reach 
Series B, when they have a VP of finance, when they have raised tens of millions of dollars to stop with the kitty metrics and grow up and pretend to be the adult company they've been valued as. I mean, yes, absolutely. And I think they should. There is a tipping point, and I'm not really sure where that tipping point is. For me personally, I run, like whenever I do companies, I run full gap compliance from day one. I also do investor updates every month. And I do, because I think that's a really important part of financial hygiene around... <laughs> Sorry, we're, like, we're just you, like so excited. <laughs> you can't, you're not watching the video. Let me explain. Sorry. What I tend to do when we're recording, we we record on Zoom, is uh, make hand gestures. And I was just sending Haya all all the hearts I could draw with my hands. And I was doing chef's kisses. It was very sweet. As you can tell, I think think those things are important. And the reason I know this is important is that I've sat in in deal flow meetings, right, at a venture capital firm, in several venture capital firms, in fact. And the crazy thing is, what people don't understand about venture capital is that it's, at a very basic level, it's financial industry, right? They have... very serious fiduciary responsibilities to their LPs. And they really care about the numbers a lot more than, sometimes a lot more than they admit to the founders because they want to be hip and cool and be founder friendly. But ultimately, the thing that really matters to the VCs is can this company turn into a fund returner? And the only way you know that is without a metrics. And, you know, you can tell all sorts of really beautiful stories, but what it really boils down to for VC as an asset class is what is the return on investment? And a good proxy for that is how is the company doing? And this is where I think a lot of founders get into trouble because they think they can get away with in their early days. And then they never get the financial literacy to really understand what's happening within the business. And if you don't understand what's happening in your business, it means you can't adjust the levers in a way to make it work. Literacy is a really good concept to take a few minutes to talk about. Because in this way, like the idea that companies are complicating their math or aren't being as straight up as they used to be or will ever be, feels like a moment that something we should talk about today, right? We've been seeing so many examples of these unicorns falling from grace and VCs finally wanting their companies to be profitable. So what always stumps me is that this always has been a thing. Like, it's not just a downturn activity. It's just an activity that happens. And it's proven by your post, Alex, from November of last year. Yeah. So I guess like a way to form a question around that frustration of mine is like, what's next? Are we getting more opaque or are we getting closer to companies now realizing that in order to break out and have noise... They need to share some specifics. Well, I think this is the thing that happens whenever there is any sort of downturn, right? People get more serious about it's harder to raise money now. It's harder to defend what you're doing. People are tightening their belts and the board is starting to pay attention, right? And in a world where the board is paying attention, you really got to get this stuff right. And I think already I've spoken to a few founders, but I also know some VCs that are like actually kind of breathing a sigh of relief and going, you know what we can do? Finally beat these founders into some sort of compliance because this stuff is going to get a lot more important when the money starts running low. I mean, think about what we heard about last year. We heard about very expensive rounds done in very short periods of time with very minimal diligence. And so it does feel like everyone drifted away from what we might call their fiduciary duties. And I don't mean that in a legal sense. I mean that more in a moral sense about stewardship of capital and how it was spent and where it was dispersed. And now everyone's tightening up. And what this does for me is lets me know now that when I do see a large round or a quick round or a round that surprises me, there's probably more behind it. And so to me now, just reading between the lines, although I would love if startups would tell me things like, yes, our ARR was X last year. 
that would, I will probably write about you for that alone, just because you've told me a thing. But now at least I can kind of infer more quality and strength from these numbers. And I, I think we are seeing the clash of the two. I mean, Haya, you know, if, if founders hadn't had this relatively fertile period, we wouldn't have seen Substack try to go out and raise at a nearly a billion dollar valuation with $9 million in 2021 revenue. I mean, that is an insane sentence to have to say with my face. And I think there's something there where like pre-revenue, you sell the dream. Yeah. Right. You sell what you think you can get away with. You sell like the, the grandness of a vision. Where that falls horribly apart is in that exact situation where you have almost no revenue and you're raising at a crazy, crazy valuation. Like many founders kind of end up with a place of going, well, how do I how do I even square this circle? Right. Yeah, I, it's a struggle. It's why so many times like even though I have a lot of sass and cynicism, rightfully so, when I'm critiquing founders during this moment, I'm like, this is why I'm not a founder. Because you kind of have to context switch and have this huge whiplash of my investors wanted me to shoot for the moon and expand to all these new geographies and hire 1,000 people in one year. And now they want me to do the opposite. And of course, specific people who have opinions are the best founders. So they probably hopefully didn't fall completely subject to all the pressures of the growth at all costs mindset. But it seems like there'll be some sort of correction, hopefully there, to your point. So on the subject of corrections, one thing that we were talking about before the show, just riffing on this overall topic space was what to do with companies and this new fundraising climate. Because it's fine to talk about revenue and growth rates and those metrics, but there's another side of the coin, which is just capital, which is a big part of yeah. the kind of ebb and flow of startups and venture. We've seen a lot of interesting things lately. We've seen extension rounds. We've seen series A1s, series A2s. And we've also seen language about flat rounds versus possible down rounds. There's been a lot of like obfuscation around these terms. And to be clear, I, I certainly understand that no one wants to admit to a down round if they can get around it. But at some point, doesn't the the obfuscation, Haya, end up being more poisonous than the truth? Yeah, totally. I've seen a whole bunch of that happening recently. For example, I was talking to a founder not that long ago who was trying to sell me on an A round he had just raised. And I started digging a little bit deeper and I was like, okay, well, I see that you published something about an A round about 18 months ago. Is this a different A round? He was like, oh, no, it's just, it's just, a, you know, we, we decided to raise some money in this round. And I asked him, is this in the same valuation? He's like, no, no, the valuation is slightly lower. I was like, okay, that's not called an A round. That is called an extension or a bridge raise or, a, or a down round. It's a <laughs> Yeah, it's a Series B down right. round. Like, I, I, I don't know. You, Haya, being able to raise more capital in a hard market is a sign of strength. So cop to it. Don't try to wrap this pig in wrapping paper. Especially if you're trying to seek press for it, which we don't need to tell each other, but just to echo. Right. So, so what happened when you kind of pushed back? Well, it was a really weird situation, actually, because at some point I was like, look, I used to be in VC. I know how this works and it's hard for you. But, you know, if you're raising a new round with a new term sheet, that is not the same round. And I'm not going to write that. You know, you're describing a B round or whatever we want to call this round. And it's a down round. And at some point he kind of got really quiet and clearly wasn't happy with me. And then he dropped off yeah. the call. And I was like, Mm. Wait, what? And, you know, he didn't say anything. He didn't say goodbye. He just dropped off the call. And the PR person was like, oh, let me see if I can figure out what's going on. And she was looking a little bit, uh, I think they were chatting on Slack or something. And she was looking a little bit um, sheepish and said, well, um, he decided not to complete the interview. And I was like, you, wait, what? <laughs> it's, that is just completely, un I've never experienced that before. Have you guys? Uh, uh, not to that level. No. Right. <laughs> right. I've had some pretty awkward phone calls, but no one's ever hung up on right. me. Like in that so way. I followed up by email and I was like, look, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. You've given me enough to write this and I just don't understand why what is happening right now. 
And I got this really kind of obtuse question back, which is like, well, you don't understand. Uh, I've been told that this is a, a Series A uh, round and, you know, I don't agree, blah, blah, blah. He had like this whole argument for how he didn't agree with my terminology. And I think there was something really weird at play there. And I see this with a lot of founders, actually, where if you have the wrong advisors who either are out of yeah. date or have just read one uh. too many books and aren't fully like inside knowing what is happening in the deal flow meetings at VC firms, you can get some really nasty information. Like I, I imagine what happened to him is that they said, you know, don't raise it a down round no matter what. And that's what he was trying to avoid. Whereas as we both know, or all three of us know, you know, that's not a disaster, right? Letting the company crash and burn is worse than raising a down round. Yes. Yes. If avoiding the semblance of a round at a slightly lower valuation is like the thing that you are most scared of as a founder right now, like you probably have much bigger issues. Like that is very alarming to me. Like that raises a ton of red flags. Oh, totally. um, and yes, I think historically overlooked founders, like some of them cannot afford to versus like a white guy raising. And I don't know the background of the founder, but I feel like that's an important nuance. But I just, yeah, I don't know. I think that this allergy we see towards specifically even rounds, like let's take away revenue, but rounds is like kind of the most extreme out there right now, hiding the kind of round that you have raised when a round in and of itself during a downturn, like you said, Alex, is so, um, is a feat. Yeah. And I think the weird thing we're seeing right now is a bunch of founders who are struggling, right? They, uh, and especially first time founders, they haven't known anything mm. but extreme boom times, right? It's yeah. been like any founder who has any sort of traction can raise money. That was true six months ago. That is no longer automatically true today. And that shift, I can totally understand from a founder's point of view why that feels like whiplash and why that's scary. And if you're also working with inexperienced VCs that give you the wrong information in board meetings, you're really up the wrong creek with a paddle. Yeah, especially if if people have been kind of bullshitting you for some time. Like if everyone's been telling you what a genius you are and suddenly the market turns and then you're you're left a little bit sitting by yourself, I bet you're confused. And, you know, frankly, in a very human way, defensive. And I, I totally get that. At the same time, this is business and there's not a lot of room for hurt feelings. And especially if you are able to do something that is relatively impressive, raising during a downturn, quibbling over the naming terminology to me just smacks up a, a certain immaturity that I yes. think is unbecoming of, of people. And like if a founder came to me and said, hey, look, you know, we grew 100% last year from five to 10 million ARR. We raised more capital. It's at a, you know, 220 post versus a 270 post from our Series A, whatever. Times have changed, but the company is growing. We're doing well. We're really confident. The chance of me taking that call is like nearly 100%. Because oh my God, yes. Clarity, honestly, upfront. I know this person's not going to bullshit me. I know they're not going to hide behind pre-chewed, prefabricated sentences they're reading off of a document because some overpaid PR team told them how to avoid saying something material. Like every single time I talk to a founder and they blow me away with their honesty and candor, they either have their current company crush it or their next company does incredibly well. Like it's, it's almost 100%. And every time someone tries to windbag me, into not believing what I can see in front of my face, their company explodes. So I'm just saying like, I'm not a VC, don't want to become one, but I do talk to a lot of people and clarity and honesty are the things that to me correlate with success and admitting that you had a slight hiccup in your business is not a moral flaw. No, not at all. I mean, I think lies beget other lies. So like there's this really toxic circle, like you just described of like what happens if everyone keeps lying and then the person who's new just is like, this is the truth. Such a complex dynamic to deal with. And I think like maybe the final section we can talk about is like a lot of people also don't know 
like what these terms mean. As a newer reporter three years ago, if someone told me that they raised a seed round and they didn't raise a Series A or a seed add-on, which happened this morning, I would have written that and taken their word. And now I'm just going to write, this is this round, but they are saying it is not. Um, And that's one example. But the reason I'm saying this is like, last week we wrote about Main Street having a recapitalization event. And the actual definition of recaps are super confusing because you can have a few secondary transactions and that could be a recap, but it depends on who's asking and who's defining it. And so the founder kind of declined to comment on the record, but I do think there was like this huge question on if is this actually a recap. To me, that was just one of those moments too, where I was like, everyone's disagreeing on the same definition. As reporters, we also have our own preconceived notions on what is right and what's wrong. And so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Math is hard. This is why I hate it. Uh, Hi, just for fun. How would you define a recap? I wouldn't. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah, it's, it doesn't enough. matter. I feel like in these conversations, I'm always tempted to take a couple of steps back. It's like, let's not yeah. quibble about the words. Let's talk about what are you actually trying to accomplish here? What is good? What is bad? What are you trying to do? And against that, you know, we can call it whatever we want, but it's like, you know, where did those shares come from? Was this a dilution? Was this a all that kind of stuff. Are you selling your personal shares and then put that back into the company? There's so many different things you could do to get some more money into a company. And ultimately, yes, it's financially interesting how that happens, but it isn't important. It's not important. Getting it done is what matters for the health of the company. Because back to your point about burn rate versus runway, when those lines intersect and cash goes to zero, business dies because cash is business oxygen. But I feel like it's perfectly fine to do a recap or do a down round and keep it to yourself. That's cool. If you go through the effort of spending a bunch of money to get other people to try to get my attention and then finagle me, usually via endless emails or texts to get on the phone with you, be ready to answer very basic questions about the transaction in question. Yeah. It's like Chipotle calling you going, hey, we had a salmonella outbreak. You'd be like, really? Okay, let's talk about that. You know, don't, don't. (laughs) Don't, Don't get your PR company involved to shout about it. <laughs> to to yeah. be clear, what Haya is doing there is comparing a down round to a salmonella outbreak. It's He's doing it. <laughs> it's not quite That's the, the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think like there's such an interesting, I remember when Danny was on the show still, Alex, we are talking about Luckin oh. and fraud and how we would see startups fail in really interesting, if, if just by the wrong word, but we see startups struggle in different ways and not everything should be treated the same. And so- where we are today, it feels like the most PR-friendly level of transparency. If you're a company committing fraud, I don't expect you to talk to me. I'm just we're, We should just do an investigation on you and eventually you'll talk to us. But I think it's important to also distinguish the difference between lying about math in like a haha, like this is technically right, but we're going to be a little bit creative about it versus we're going to straight up commit fraud. Because I think people listening may get confused on which one. Right. And I'm not a prosecutor, so it's not my job to call out fraud. And... The kind of stuff that we're seeing now in the S1s and like the kind of stuff that has been like gap compliance exists for a reason. And if you choose not to be gap compliant, that is on you. And there's a totally legitimate way of being guilty of fraud, even without intending to commit fraud. And this is one of the ways that you can do that as a founder. And it's super easy to avoid. Just be gap compliant from day one. It costs a little bit of extra money and it makes a lot of headaches go away. Yeah, especially later on. If you want to go public, having a history of gap audited financials is going to be an enormous boon. And also your auditors will take you a little bit more seriously because you have shown the ability to be mature. I think it's going to be a year of figuring out what is actually the thing in question, if you will. And I think it's going to be a good exercise for us as reporters after a couple of years of only seeing up rounds. This is going to make us get our questioning back on. But I just think that the allergy of sharing material information while private is an error. 
And just to give you an example about this, people will like call me up and say, Hey, we bought a company. I'm like, cool. How much? Uh, we're not, we're not sharing that. When did it close? We can't share that. Was it cash or stock or both? We can't share that. And I'm like, the off, you know? And I like that, that ethos that private companies, because they don't have to share, therefore will not yeah. is cancerous to trust in business uh, between the customers and companies, I think. And also between just, you know, me and you, because it's wasting my time. Uh, well, I think that's where we have a choice as journalists too, right? We can say, okay, it's very nice that you bought this company and I'm not going to write about it because you don't give me the information I need to be like, to yeah. be <laughs> fiduciary responsible to our own readers. Yes, exactly. Well said. And if you're listening to this episode and you're kind of like, a lot of these issues are just kind of innate to tech journalism, the no comment that we're never going to tell you the transaction price and you kind of do away with it. I think we should center people back on the fact that there were nearly 15,000 people that were laid off last month. And a lot of them joined these companies without, I'm sure, knowing the specifics of revenue, reading a TechCrunch story, seeing the no comment. Either when I have that, I think that that no comment someone's reading and is reading between the lines, but I'm sure people read the no comment and it's they're numb to it. And so there is like this very like clear cause and effect that happens. And it's not one that just impacts tech journalists who are curious or VCs who are money hungry, but also like probably you who are listening and deciding where you're going to go next. Yeah, we, we complain. But we do this for the readers, right? Which are just regular folks. We don't make money more or less if a company does well or poorly. But I do want to inform everybody who might bet their health insurance on going to work there because they think it's it's, it's a cool company because TechCrunch covered it. So whenever I do cover something, I presume I'm giving off a signal to the market. And so I want it to be as reasonable, fair, and accurate as possible. A low bar to cross, but I mean, we're really measuring up from absolutely the ground floor here. So- <laughs> yeah, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I feel I feel like this is a therapeutic episode for us. Like we can now point back to it when, when people annoy us on the phone, we can just send them a link to this episode. Also, can we talk about how, like, how naturally a fit Haya is to equity? Like that was the easiest onboarding ever. Haya, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, come through whenever. <laughs> Thank you so much though, Haya, for joining us. Tell people where to find you and what you've been up to on TC that Ooh. you want to plug. So I've been doing some really fun stuff at TC. Alex, let me start a new series of articles called Pitch Deck Teardowns, which I absolutely love doing. Both as a founder and as a VC, one of the things I discovered was that there's always a massive shortage of example pitch decks. And you know, yeah. every company that I'd raised had one, and it felt like such a riddle why there was so few publicly available. And so I kind of made it my mission to squirrel a bunch out and start sharing them, but also critiquing them. So like, hey, this works, this doesn't work, and basically kind of tie into how to how to raise money, essentially. So I think we're six or seven in now. I'm super excited about them. And yeah, come find them on TechCrunch.com. They are great. And they've actually become some of the most great. popular stuff on TechCrunch Plus, period. So hi, don't tell Haya this, but he's become like one of my, my stars. I'm so thankful for him. <laughs> Love it. And you are at Haya on Twitter, joining the the one name Twitter handle club yep, yep. that I will never get. get but um, <laughs> I had to file a trademark that. to get that. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> there, okay, that's a separate, separate podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Will we do equity oh unwinded or unwound or whatever? We'll get to that one. Yes. Unplugged. Yes. Alex, thank you for joining. As always, you're the best. I will talk to you in negative two minutes. And everyone else, we will chat with you on Friday. Goodbye. 